Section 78 of Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Read by Marie Christian. Familiar Instructions and Evening Lectures on All the Truths of Religion, Volume 2, by Father Louis de Segur. A Souvenir in the year 1841, I was at Paris and taking part in the conference of St. Vincent de Paul. Some of the young people who composed it had the habit of visiting the sick in the hospital once or twice a week. The hospital Necker in the Rue de Sevres had fallen to my share. I always commenced my visits with the chapel, going there to ask God to bless the work which for love of Him I was about to accomplish and to accompany the words and counsel I was going to give to my sick people with his benediction. And then, when I had finished my visit to the wards, I returned to lay the fruits at the sacred feet of our Divine Master. I was obliged to leave Paris in the spring, but I always remember one touching incident of which I was the witness upon my last visit to the sick of Necker. The ward I had to visit that day was entrusted to the care of a Sister of Charity, who had grown old in this holy ministry, and who was no less indefatigable in allaying the sufferings of her patients than she was zealous for the salvation of their souls. On arriving I went, according to my custom, to receive the orders of this good sister. She especially recommended to me six or seven sick people. One newly arrived and still unknown to her, another in a dying state and needing to be strengthened and comforted, another already moved to repentance and on the point of conversion, etc. And then, she added, go to number 39. You will find there a man of 32 or 33 years of age in the last stage of consumption and who cannot live more than two or three days. I have tried in vain to get him to listen to me or speak to me, but he has driven me away from him three or four times and has only received the chaplain with rough, ungracious words. One of your confreres of St. Vincent de Paul has visited him many times with no better success. He will probably receive you in the same way, but no trouble must be spared. We must only consider the glory of God and the poor soul to be saved. Well, my good sister, I replied, if he dismisses me, why then I shall be dismissed, that is all. I shall be none the worse for that. But say a Hail Mary for the poor man whilst I go and speak to him. I went my rounds, and going from bed to bed, I arrived at number 39. It gave me quite a shock when I first caught sight of him. Death was written indelibly on his face. He was propped up on the pillows of his bed. His sallow face was ghastly in its pallor, and his emaciated countenance and sunken eyes gave his dark eyes a strange, wild look. I approached his bed. He fixed his eyes on me without speaking. The sister has told me, my poor friend, that you are suffering much and that you have been ill for a long time, I said to him. No answer, but the expression of the man's face grew harder and harder, as though he would say, I want none of your condolences, leave me in peace. I appeared not to perceive this. Are you suffering much just now? Is there anything I can do for you? I asked. No answer. But you must try to make a virtue of necessity, my poor friend, and offer your sufferings to God as an expiation of your sins. Thus at least they will be of profit to you. Still the same silence and the same reception. The situation grew embarrassing. 
The expression of the sick man became more and more menacing, and I expected every moment that he would give some insulting reply. But suddenly divine providence sent me an inspiration. I went close up to him, and bending down, I said in a whisper, Did you make a good first communion? These words had the effect of an electric shock. He made a slight movement, the expression of his face changed, and he murmured rather than said, Yes, monsieur. And were you not happy at that time? Yes, monsieur, he answered with emotion, and I could see that his eyes had filled with tears. Then I took his hands in mine. And why were you happy then, if not because you were pure and chaste, loving and fearing God, living a Christian life? But this happiness may be yours again. God is as merciful as then. He has not changed. He was still weeping. I am sure you would be glad to make your confession. Yes, monsieur, he said with an effort and held out his arms to embrace me. You may imagine how gladly I responded. Then I gave him a little advice to help him in the carrying out of his good resolution. After that, I left him and announced to the sister the unexpected success of my visit. I do not know what followed, but that which remains deeply engraven on my mind, or rather on my heart, is the marvelous power of the mercy of God, which could change a heart so hardened in an instant by the help of a single word. The remembrance of his first communion alone sufficed to convert and probably to save this poor dying man. Happy for him that he had made it well. For if he had negligently fulfilled this great act of the Christian life, the remembrance that I recalled to him would have doubtfully made upon his heart a very faint impression. Thus good produces good, and with God nothing is lost. I would impress this upon the young who are entering upon life and upon parents who are charged to watch over them, and to implant in their young souls those salutary impressions, which shall be, perhaps, one day the means of their salvation. End of section 78